Garden Success is brought to you in part by the Arbor Gate, featuring unusual plants, artisan-created decorative pieces, and a constantly changing array of items that bring beauty, comfort, and even flavor to the home and garden. Arbor Gate, 15635 FM 2920, Tomball, Texas, 281-351-8851 or arborgate.com. Garden Success is also brought to you by the Farm Patch, 3519 South College Avenue in Bryan, 979-822-7209. Welcome to Garden Success with Skip Richter the show designed to help you have a bountiful garden and a beautiful landscape. Call in now with your lawn and garden questions at 979-845-5689 or email your questions to gardensuccess at tamu.edu. And now, Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist, Skip Richter. Hello and welcome to Garden Success. In fact, welcome to the Christmas Eve or excuse me, New Year's Eve Eve show of Garden Success. <laughs> I know everybody's getting wound up for New Year's, and I'm glad you're listening today because we actually are coming to you by tape, but we have a couple of special guests that are going to be with us today. And uh, so I'm looking forward to visiting with them, and I know you'll enjoy hearing what they have to say. Uh, so with Christmas Eve upon us, I was thinking about how do we do a gardening show about Christmas Eve? And then I got to thinking that just about every libation comes from a plant. So we could talk about hops, or we could talk about, uh, let's see, corn, or we could talk about, uh, how about juniper berries that flavor the gin? I don't know. We could talk about a lot of different things that are plant-related uh, regarding the libations, but we're not going to do that today. We're going to talk about things of interest to your gardening. Uh, we've hit the end of the month uh, where, uh, you know, cr Christmas season, those of you who had Christmas trees, uh, that season is past, and so it's it's time pretty soon to be moving those out of the house if you haven't already. You just want to be extra careful. Uh, you know, as your tree gets drier, if you do leave it up, uh, it just uh, is a little more potentially uh, something that, uh, you know, or flame or uh, flames from shorts in the, in the wiring and things could be an issue. So just be a little extra careful because, boy, nothing will catch fire like uh, an evergreen. Junipers, uh, uh, pine, different uh, kinds of uh, trees like that have a very volatile oils in them. And you've probably seen videos before on it, but it is a it is a, a quick way to catch everything on fire. So you want to be careful with that. As far as recycling them, uh, you know, people listen to the show from a lot of different communities, and some communities do have community recycling uh, where you can put the tree out and they chop it up and, and uh, do that. Uh, some gardeners do it themselves. They just, you know, take the all the needles and small branches and snip them off and put them in garden pathways and whatnot and let them decompose just like a mulch would. Uh, if you're fortunate enough to have a chipper, you can you can also do that with probably all but the largest the largest sections of the tree. But that's just another way to recycle it, get those nutrients uh, back in the soil, while in the meantime, they're helping uh, to protect the soil surface and to deter winter weeds. And speaking of, speaking of winter weeds, uh, if you've got any bare areas out there or areas where you have small weeds coming up, maybe the weeds aren't more than four inches high, you can cover them with a thick layer of mulch and that will take care of them. Now there are some perennial weeds that will push through mulch, but most of the things we're seeing now are things like uh, the uh, annual uh, bluegrass weed coming up or chickweed or henbit or um, let's see what are some others 
Carpet weed is another one that we see in our lawns this time of the year. Those are easily um, mulched away. So if you get ahead of them uh, and don't let them get too large, you're not going to have to spend the uh, early part of the new year uh, like Santa ho-ho-hoing in the, in the garden. So uh, just a little recommendation for that. We're, I know we're about to finish up of the what we call the holiday season, but boy, once we hit the first of the year, it is time to get busy uh, starting seeds indoors for the spring. Uh, the time, once we get into January, we're going to be planting a lot of the cool season vegetables again. Uh, broccoli, cabbage, cauliflower, kohlrabi, kale, collards, uh, Brussels sprouts. Actually, Brussels sprouts take a long time, so if you're going to get those out, either do it in the fall uh, early winter or, or do it as soon as you can after the first of the year uh, so they have plenty of time to produce before the weather gets too hot. So those things, uh, you can start them as transplants. Uh, some people direct seed in the garden. Direct seeding in the fall is fine uh, because the weather's warm and uh, they grow. They come up and they grow pretty fast. I would say probably at, at the in the early uh, part of the year in January, if you're going to plant them, it's better to go with transplants. You can start plants indoors. Uh, you would need to be doing it, I would almost say plant, make sure you're planting some today because it's going to take at least four weeks to grow even a small transplant. And uh, that would be putting you planting it at the end of January, which is a good time to plant. Uh, but things like tomatoes, uh, for example, we, we can start seeding those out right after the first of the year. Uh, the time to put them out in the garden is uh, ideally after the first frost. But that is, uh, we can gamble as gardeners a little bit on that. So uh, I will often plant uh, at the very end of February or even early in March to get a real good head start. But if you do that, you've got to be ready to keep them covered. Uh, some kind of a warm cover to protect them overnight. Uh, on, on crispy, cool nights, and, and we're not just talking about frost here, we're talking about keeping them a few degrees warmer 24-7 because that will help spur the early growth. If you don't do that, uh, planting early versus planting two weeks later may be essentially hardly any difference at all in terms of plant production because the early planted uh, may just be sitting there waiting for the weather to warm up a little bit more. And so by the time they get crawling along, uh, the normal planting time comes upon us. So uh, be ready to cover them up if you want to do that. But I like to grow them starting early. I like to start in January, uh, early January, with, with transplants indoors. It takes about six weeks to grow a decent transplant, but you can take that transplant and keep bumping it up into larger containers. And uh, so by the time you put it out after the danger of the first frost, uh, then you could, uh, or about that time, uh, you have a plant that's maybe even blooming. I've even hit a point sometimes where they have small fruit that have set on the things because they were started so early. And it's another way to get a head start. Maybe your your uh, plant growing area doesn't allow for that. But anyway, that's that's something that uh, hopefully will will be a, a enjoyable thing for you for the rest of the season. Peppers like it just a bit warmer. I generally, uh, I may start my peppers uh, mid-January, something like that. Uh, of course, eggplant come on uh, as well. And then as we get close to the, the growing season, and we'll talk about this in future shows, but some of the plants that we don't grow for very long as transplants, like squash and cucumbers, for example, uh, those are just in for uh, two or three weeks uh, before we're ready to put those out. 
uh, we'll start planting those kinds of things. Out in the garden and about the landscape right now, I know perhaps uh, you have friends, family that have been coming and visiting. Uh, th this is uh, still time to be watching, keeping those leaves off the off the yard so that uh, St. Augustine, which is most of our lawns here, uh, can get some light in order to do really well. Uh, even over the cool winter season, it can gain a little bit of energy from the sunlight at that time. Uh, keep things all, all spruced up there and looking good as you're getting ready uh, for your garden. Well, uh, today we're, we're going to start with a special guest. Uh, you, I'm sure, know her. Uh, she has been a long time, uh, long time feature on the um, Friday uh, KBTX show. Uh, let's see, garden, uh, the gardening show on KBTX. Uh, Jayla Fry. Uh, Jayla is uh, in the Department of Horticulture here. Uh, and uh, she has been uh, very kind to come and be a guest on our show today. And so I'd like to welcome Jayla. Jayla, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks, Skip. Thanks for having me. Well, it's so good to have you. And I know our listeners will be glad to hear from you, too, because I'm sure a lot of them have watched you for a good while <laughs> on those Friday segments. And you, she still, Jayla still coordinates those and, and is on them as well. Uh, and so that's, a, that's kind of a fun way to get uh, some of the honeydew list made for the weekend. You know, you go into Friday and you know, somebody's going to get work out of that, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Lots to do. Right. Well, well one of uh, Jayla's tasks with the Hort Department at A&M is managing the statewide Master Gardening Program. And I wanted to have her on to give you guys, I know I would suspect everybody has at least heard of Master Gardening, but I would like to give you a picture of the scope of Master Gardening in Texas and the impact that it makes. We have a Master Gardening program here in Brazos County, and our volunteers are an integral part of us being able to reach the community with horticulture information. But Jayla, could you tell us just a, just a little bit about kind of a 30,000 foot view of, of the program to start? Absolutely. Well, first of all, um, master gardeners are such incredible people. They come to the program for knowledge and then they realize they can learn so much more by giving back to their communities. Mm -hmm. So the gist of the program is that a person comes to an extension uh a county extension office that has a master gardener program and they are trained with a minimum of 50 hours of education in exchange for 50 hours of service and this is how they become a certified texas master gardener mm -hmm. every year after that there is a recertification requirement it's much less but goodness we find so often that that minimum is just blown out of the water because people love what they're doing they love yes. to learn and they love helping people that's right. That's right. And our, our my goal uh, is in coordinating a program is to find a niche for people where they are thriving. Because when people are having fun and enjoying what they do, and, and for so many of them, not only serving, but enjoying learning, mm -hmm. uh, it, it just, they just take off and, and forget the requirement of hours. They're, they're uh, out having fun. It, that's exactly right. They don't even think about that. It's mm -hmm. more about the fellowship and the enjoyment of the topic, and and they're helping people along the way. And so we have such servant-hearted people yes. in our group, and so yes. so much for to offer a person who wants to be a master gardener. Right, and I've you know I've Jayla, I've been doing master gardening programs since uh, 1989. 
Uh, it was the first time I did one. That's a long time. And I've, run, I've, I've known a lot of master gardeners. And it is amazing. Just, I don't know how, what it is. I guess it's, you know, the kind of people that are interested in gardening maybe. But um, I'm just amazed at what a good group of folks they are. I mean, the nicest folks. And they, um, they love what they do. They love helping people. They love learning and getting involved. And it's just a, I, what is the term salt of the earth? Or Absolutely. it's just the, it's just folks that, that, uh, I don't know. I, it's wonderful. It, that we couldn't, we couldn't pay them enough for what no, they do because no, because of the value that they're able to provide. Mm-hmm. Uh, here in in, um, in Brazos County, we have a number of different programs at libraries. Of course, COVID has affected how we sure. educate, uh, but uh, we have a thing called Pizza Ranch. It reaches, yeah. oh my gosh, just hundreds and hundreds of kids yeah. every year on gardening. And, and as you go around the, around the state, I guess you've seen a lot of different types of of service projects. Oh, yes. There's lots of different things. We have typical ones in most counties. And so uh, just to give you an idea of what some of those are, most all counties have one, if not multiple, demonstration gardens. And what those gardens are designed to do are to show the people in that local community what they can grow. Mm -hmm. So you can wander through those demonstration gardens with or without someone, or you can have a master gardener come and essentially guide you through that. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of times our volunteers will take the plants that are in their demonstration garden and put it on a website so it expands the outreach of that demonstration garden. Mm. And so those are just really cool uh, ways that the public can come and learn uh, from a Master Gardener project. Another way uh, or another project that Master Gardeners provide are um, answering questions. And this is kind of the heart of the program. This is how it all got started. the program started up in Washington State in the early 70s mm-hmm. by an ag agent named Dr. David Gibby, and he was overwhelmed by the amount of horticulture questions that came into his office, <laughs> and he could not keep up. And he knew that the public was interested in this topic, and so he started training them. And that is really how the pro- program got started. And I tell our people all the time, it can be a little intimidating to answer gardening questions, yes. but... That's where you learn. That's that really true. how, when when they're out there digging and doing the research for someone else, they have that information in a workable uh, format for themselves. And so right. it's a win-win. And then I always give them tips and tricks to, you know what, most people are okay if we say, hey, let me call you back later. And that way right. you can really dig in and get good information. And so that kind of takes the pressure off. It does. It does. And we go to pretty great lengths to teach our master gardeners about uh, how to research mm-hmm. uh, information online, how to answer questions. Uh, you don't have to be the answer grape with an instant knowledge, but uh, yes. just to just to get the right information from them, do a little research and get back. People are really appreciative yes. of getting a quality answer in a prompt way. Yes, and we pride ourselves on giving that research-based information to mm-hmm. the public, and they really appreciate that. That is that is true. Now, uh, t- statewide, uh, mm-hmm. I think what you uh, probably totaled about a thousand master gardeners that, that were trained this year alone. New master gardeners. Correct. We, on average, we train anywhere between a thousand to twelve hundred uh, new volunteers each year, mm-hmm. and so that does that brings our core up over seven thousand five hundred volunteers across the state. Wow. And so we have an incredible core of volunteers that are 
are, are standing there waiting to help people be successful. So how many hours, let's say in 2020, let's go back mm-hmm. to where we have a full year of data, and how many hours would that represent across the state of Texas where extension is extending itself into the community with volunteers? How many more hours are, are we seeing there? So in 2020, we gave over 5,500,000 hours of service. Wow. And our average prior to COVID, we were hitting around the 6,000 mark. And mm-hmm. so as you can see, we really haven't dropped that drastically yeah. on the service that we were giving. And, um, you know, a lot of people, um, a lot of other programs, their volunteers waived the hours during COVID. And, and we didn't. We didn't have to because... We still had such a a need. People were gardening more than ever, quite honestly, Mm -hmm. and there was such a need for that good research space, that solid information. And so our numbers really didn't drop that drastically. And Hmm. so we're we're doing great. We are still out there doing wonderful things. So so that means year after year, kind of you're somewhere in the half million uh, hours Mm -hmm. range Mm -hmm. for master gardeners across the state. And I I did some some figuring on that. And if you use the the number for from the independent sector for the value of volunteer time, and of course, this is just a monetary, what would it cost to hire somebody number, Mm -hmm. not the true value of our volunteers. But that comes to fifteen million eight hundred and ninety thousand dollars that the state of Texas, the citizens of Texas are not paying for, but they're getting the benefit of from our master gardener volunteer. Wow. That is that's shocking. Uh That's a big splash. So thank you, Master Gardeners. Yeah, no (laughs) kidding. Well, and and, and, you know, those are raw numbers, Mm -hmm. uh, but the the. Um, indescribable part, the unmeasurable mm-hmm. part, uh, is watching, I know, I'm watching our master gardeners uh, work with children mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, help them do things and, and just interact with them. And, you know, a lot of kids don't get the opportunity to grow up gardening. Uh, right. They um, they just, uh, you know, th- they don't have any experience with it. And whether mm-hmm. it's our master gardeners going into schools around the state, whether it's after school activities or working, uh, you know, we have the dig here, the demonstration idea garden mm-hmm. and master gardeners come out uh, for, to work in that. And then we had a, a school group uh, come through uh, this recently this year is one of our more recent ones, uh, just touring the garden and getting able to touch, feel, smell yeah. and, and visit with folks uh, that are that are kind, gentle and so uh-huh. enthusiastic about helping uh-huh. them. That's so true. We have such a wonderful um, youth outreach component with the Junior Master Gardener Program. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have across the state over 225 youth gardens specifically designated for kids. Wow. So such a wonderful outreach. And, that you know, that helps ensure our next generation of gardeners. It does. It does. And it not only does that, and I know you know this better than I do, but it it also ensures a generation of eaters that's more likely to v- to develop the common diet-related illnesses oh, yes. that uh, the fast food world and, and just mm-hmm. our own poor food choices put on so us. So true. Yeah. Absolutely. So that would be neat to look at. We're talking about numbers. It would be mm-hmm. interesting. I don't know any way you could do this, but to look, what is the dollar value in terms of long-term health care costs mm. from the kids that we reach through our master gardening and junior master gardening programs? That would be a fabulous research project. <laughs> it would. <laughs> it would. Oh, my goodness. Well, that that is really, really cool. Um, you know, we teach in the master gardener class 
the basics of horticulture. I mean, from mm -hmm. botany and soils to entomology and plant pathology, mm -hmm. uh, propagation, lawns and fruit. And I know now you have even shifted where the class um, is, uh, there is an online component where uh, counties that want to offer master gardening or maybe some of the classes within mm -hmm. the master gardening course uh, mm -hmm. can tap in through things that you guys have created here at Texas A&M AgriLife. Yes. So, um, of course, like I said earlier, we have a requirement of 50 hours of education. Mm -hmm. And now I'm offering for any county um, who has a Master Gardener program, they can log in um, and attend 35 hours um, online. And I coordinate that for them for those counties that, I mean, it just takes a little bit of coordination off mm -hmm. of their plate. And it's something that's simple for us to do. Our volunteers really appreciate it because they can go back and listen to the recordings at a later date. And so this has just been... A, a wonderful, flexible way to um, to bring in a, really a new audience. You know, our previous classes always had to be in person, but this allows mm -hmm. a little bit more flexibility for maybe the person who works or um, ha has other things going on during the time that a regular class would meet. That's and great. So, yeah. yeah, we're really trying to, to reach out and expand who we can offer the class to. Right, and, and going online, uh, you know, it has its pros and cons, mm, uh, sure but, but it puts better speakers in more places than mm -hmm. they normally could, could get and, and to travel to. Uh, so if here in Brazos County, if someone's interested in Master Gardening, they can call our, our Extension Office or they can go to Brazos MG uh, uh, website. Uh, mm -hmm. it's, it's easy to find our Brazos County website. Uh, but what about people listening out of county? How would they go about finding out uh, where they could become a Master Gardener in their area? Okay, so a couple of different places. First of all, uh, you can always reach your county extension office by putting in uh, to a web browser your uh, it's it's your county name mm -hmm. agrilife org. Okay, and that will get you to your county um, extension office and just call those people there. And if you have a master gardener program, they will be able to help you. The okay. other way is you are welcome to contact me, and I will help get you in in touch with the right people. And okay. So um, let me just spell it out for you. This is my email address. Best okay. way to, to contact me, and it's Jayla dot Fry. Let me spell it: J A Y L A dot F-R-Y at A-G dot T-A-M-U dot E-D-U. Please feel free to call me even with gardening questions or anything to, to help you be successful. That's also a part of my job. That's what I love to do as well. Um, and that's why I'm, I'm a little passionate about our volunteers um, being yeah. so helpful to other people. I just love that idea. Well, and and that's great, and I and I also want to thank you for what you do at the state level, and also uh, here in Brazos County with yeah. uh, with the uh, gardening uh, segments on Friday. Uh, that's I know a lot of people enjoy watching those, and those are and so fun. You have you have held that together uh, and, I and continue love it. to. That's a great thing. Well, one of these days we're going to have to get uh, your uh, co-worker over or cohort over there, uh, Lisa, on to talk about the Junior yes. Master Gardening Program. That's a whole nother world. Oh, it's a wonderful program. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. And it, it's so exciting uh, to get out and, and to see those things. And those of you listening, if, you, if you're if you interested uh, in learning more about Master Gardening, you know, call our office or if you're from another county, uh, go the route Jayla recommended there. Uh, but if you'd like to go out and see the Demonstration Idea Garden, it's up on Highway 21. Um, 
and in, in Bryan, and uh, it's near the County Road and Bridges office, and we still have that garden going. Uh, you know, we're looking someday to hopefully develop something additional to that, but uh, uh, right now it's a place you can go visit. Uh, occasionally there are uh, activities out there, educational programs out there, and so you want to kind of stay tuned. You can go to the Brazos Master Gardener website to to be able to learn more about what's going on. And a lot of our information uh, for educating the public is currently residing on that we website. So I encourage you to take advantage of that. Well, Jayla, I, I can't thank you enough for taking the time out today to stop and visit. Oh, my pleasure. All right. Well, I, I do wish you well. Have a great uh, New Year's, and uh, we look forward to talking to you sometime again in the future. Sounds great. Thank All you. Right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, so we're, uh, we're still in our pre-New Year's Eve show, and as I mentioned at the beginning, this is a taped show. So uh, because it's a taped show, uh, we, you know, you can't call in. We're normally a call-in show, uh, but uh, the, the goal today is just to provide you some information at a time when we're not able to get in the studio uh, and do that. I, I want to talk a little bit about uh, some of the other winter activities uh, around uh, the landscape and garden uh, that is important to get done this time of year. We are, we are quickly coming uh, upon the pruning season and we like to wait until uh, mid to late winter to do most of our pruning. And that would be things like uh, the uh, landscape trees in your yard, for example, or some of the shrubs. Uh, we try to do the pruning that we're going to do on that when it's closer to the time that the plants are going to leaf out and start to grow. Uh, so it, uh, you can get away with midwinter pruning, of course, but uh, you might wait just a little bit longer for that. But it's a good time to make sure you have the right tools for doing that. And um, a good quality sharp pair of pruners or loppers for smaller branches small, that you're lopping off, uh, or a good quality saw for cutting off larger branches is important. There's a lot of good information out there on how to prune, and I would really urge you to take some time to learn that. Uh, we have information at the Extension Office on that. There's information online at the Aggie Horticulture website on that. But when you prune a tree, or when you hire someone to prune your tree, if that job isn't done well, it's it, let's say it's done very poorly, um, uh, that is permanent. I mean, that in some cases, the structure of the tree, the beauty of the tree, or the structural integrity, the, the long-term safety uh, in that tree can be severely uh, hampered by poor pruning practices. So I just really urge you to take some time to learn uh, how to prune the things you're pruning. And you can email us, you can call us at the Extension Office, we can we can talk about it, uh, but uh, the there are things, there are proper ways to make a pruning cut. Uh, for example, uh, it's real easy when a branch is a little large, if you try to cut it just cutting from the top down, it ends up uh, falling over and stripping the bark off down the trunk. And that is a long-term wound that is very slow to heal. And in many cases, decay sets in on the interior before it fully closes. So we want to make the cut in with something we call a three-cut process, where we uh, cut um, uh, upward or, or cut downward uh, to about a third of the way, upward about a, a third of the way through first, and then downward on the outside. Of, I'm confusing you here. Cut upward a third of the way and then go out a little bit 
uh, and cut downward and that branch falls but because of the first upward cut it doesn't strip down now if that doesn't make any sense just go online and look for the three-step pruning cut and you can see a lot of good diagrams online so important for heavier branches uh, then for smaller things, uh, the final cut you make, or on smaller things, the type of cut you make is just outside where the branch attaches. So if you follow a branch, the simplest way I can describe it is if you follow a branch back to where it attaches to the trunk, let's say. Uh, it, it has a, a fairly uniform diameter, and then all of a sudden it starts to, to get larger. It's, it flares out where it attaches. You want to cut right where it begins that flare uh, begins to flare out not flush up against the trunk that by cutting where the flare begins you retain all the tissues that are the best at healing over and you have the smallest cut possible so uh, as, it, it, as the flare gets bigger as you get closer to the trunk your wound is becomes larger and larger which means it's more time to be able to heal over but you want to be getting ready for those kinds of things now anything in your landscape that um, uh, let's say is going to only bloom in the spring. Uh, anything that only blooms in the spring, uh, that would be um, something that would be only pruned after it blooms. So if you let's say it's a once blooming rose, a lot of our climbing roses like Lady Banks only bloom once. Uh, if it's just a once blooming rose, then in that case you're going to wait until after it blooms because if you pruned it now, you would be cutting away all of the blooming wood, uh, all of the blooming wood. And so you would essentially remove this spring's bloom show. Now once it's bloomed, you cut it off and you want to get that pruning done by um, maybe midsummer at the latest, uh, but better to get it done right away. And uh, when you when you do that, it allows for the tree or the branch or the shrub or whatever to have a whole season to continue its growth. Uh, and, and when you when it has that growth, then it's able to set buds and bloom again next year. So our goal is to have it have plenty of time to form new buds before uh, the next season arrives. And most of those buds on spring bloomers are set in the um, late summer and early, early fall uh, where it gets the buds ready for the following season. So that's why we want to get the pruning done early on those so they can regrow and then set bloom buds on those. Now, if, if, um, if something is um, going to bloom in the summer, you can prune it in the winter because it's blooming on new growth. If it blooms in the fall, by the way, uh, anything that might bloom in the fall that or late summer, that would be the same case. So all of those things are things we're going to be about to bloom. Well, I wanted to take a little bit of time today also and visit with another guest. Um, we have uh, with us today uh, Beverly Welch from the Arbor Gate down in Tomball. Hello, Beverly. Hello, Skip. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Good. Well, uh, for those listening, I, I used to work down in Harris County uh, as horticulturist down there and uh, worked with uh, the folks out at Arbor Gate, Beverly, and the folks there uh, quite a bit. And it's always an uh, enjoyment to not visit, not only visit with them, but, but to go by and see the place. So uh, I guess I'm due to come back down there. I haven't been in a while. 
Yes, you are, and we have missed you. <laughs> oh, thank you. That's kind of you. Folks, that cost me a $20 bill to get her to say that. Uh, <laughs> so the, um, the thing I would love to hear from you about today is you've been in the nursery business a while. And, and as a result, you've seen a lot of things uh, come and go, a lot of uh, changes and developments and stuff like that. And we just came through uh, a very unique season with COVID, and people uh, became more interested in plants uh, nationally. Uh, I'd like you to tell us a little bit about uh, some things you saw. Did you see more interest? Uh, and if so, were there particular kinds of plants that people seem more interested in these days? Well, absolutely. It did um, reinvigorate interest in the garden. Okay. It was, I think, the biggest blessing of mm-hmm. the situation. Uh, people being at home, it brought them back together as a family, but back into the garden as a family. Mm. So it was wonderful, and it has been wonderful to see, and that interest has stayed. Okay. And I, it was especially rewarding to see the interest of bringing the children's interest into the garden as well. Mm. And I would say probably the the area or the scope of the nursery that really was invigorated was anything edible. Okay. Huh. Well, so like that would be fruit, uh, vegetables, and herbs, and things like that. Exactly. Wow. And then a lot of interest in pollinators as well. Ah, yes. That's that is that's good to hear. Uh, it you know pollinators are in the news, uh, and sometimes people forget how much they can do in their lawn, garden, landscape areas to to help pollinators or or to avoid hurting them. It's so simple. Mm-hmm. It really is. Most of those plants are as carefree as possible. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are. Uh, they're perennial. They uh, you know we had as you mentioned the the COVID, but we also had that epic event in February. Mm-hmm. Yes, that, <laughs> that event. <laughs> we, oh, bye. Uh, yes. So I want to talk a little bit about uh, lessons you learned from that event. Uh, but one of the one question I want to ask you first is, you know, after that happened, I think there were 18 wheelers burning up Interstate 10 and every other interstate hauling plants into Texas trying to catch up. Uh, I'm not sure we have yet. What are what are you seeing out there? Oh, absolutely not. Uh, the growers were behind anyway because of COVID. Mm-hmm. The demand for plants had grown, mm-hmm. so they were selling into future crops just to keep up with that. Okay. And then the event hit, and the demand rose even greater wow. because there was such a sudden panic mm-hmm. of. So many people didn't have the gardener's patience that Mm -hmm. they should have had uh, (laughs) to let things come back, and they did. But that initial mode to to pull it up, it's gone, I've got to replant. Mm -hmm. And especially, I think, in commercial landscapes. Yes. I think that really ate into the availability for the homeowner. Well, we we've saw in a, in a lot of the landscapes or the companies that I've I've watched, uh, just sort of a trickle. Uh, like a company didn't have enough to supply everybody, so they'd give you three and them four and them three. And, You're exactly right. And it was just frustrating trying to get a a shipment in. Right, right, and then anything of size. 
Okay. But, yeah, and and part of that is because of what you were saying, Beverly, about uh, they dipped into the reserves, you know. So I think for those of you listening, you know, you've got a plant that, that could be produced up into a bigger size, but because everybody wants them and you're out of the bigger size, you sell the smaller size. So now what happens when you need more? Uh, exactly. your, your pipeline has been sold. Is I think that's what you're saying. Right. And and it's going to take, I think, several years Wow. to, to level back out again. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, what I understand from talking with a lot of my growers. Well, it, you know, that every, every cloud has a silver lining. And, of course, we're thrilled that people are interested in gardening. We're thrilled that kids are interested in gardening and that people are interested in, in edibles because we know when you, when you, even when children, especially when you grow your own food, you're more likely to eat it and, therefore, you're eating better. Uh, long-term health is affected by that even. Exactly. So that that's kind of cool stuff. Well, uh, let's talk about the freeze. Um, what kind of um, what are some of the surprises? I guess that that as you watched things unfold after the freeze, uh, that l- let's say what what have you learned this year from it? Well, I did learn that the plants actually that survived or returned after the freeze did so with vigor. Mm-hmm. I think we had better bloom seasons this year, uh, more spectacular blooming from a lot of the shrubs and perennials. I even noticed a bit less disease on roses, for instance. Hmm. We didn't see the typical black spots that we would have. And, you know, we had periods of, of rain through the summer. We actually had a quite mild, nice summer, mm-hmm. if you will. But we would go through three and four weeks of cloudy, rainy, dreary weather, mm-hmm. but not seeing some of the typical foliar diseases mm-hmm. that we would have seen. Now, we have seen a good bit of a root rot, mm-hmm. especially in boxwoods. Um, but I do think, you know, as with after the drought in 11, it took years before that that the damage done mm-hmm. was was presenting itself. Right. I, I almost feel like that's going to be the case with the, the event. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a couple of three years that we're going to see some damage that's not visible. Mm. Yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a wise thought. Uh, as, of course, after the freeze, as you said, you know, everybody wants to know, uh, is my plant alive? What do I do? And, and things like, like cycads or sago palms, I remember years in Houston where they were, were uh, hit so hard we wondered if they were going to come back or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but even here, you know, some did, some didn't. But it, it's amazing how slowly uh, some of these plants, including palm, true palms, uh, were coming back. I sure learned a lot about which palms should be planted up in the Bryan College Station area and oh, which yeah. ones shouldn't. Right. Uh, the um, the, the um, Mexican uh, palm, I'm sorry, the um, ah, sable palm, Mexican sable palms were wonderful here. They Right. They survived it, and there were others that did, but uh, then there were a lot of the common um, nickel and dime palms that are just sold everywhere uh, that, that didn't, they didn't hold up. And so that's, right. that's a sad thing when you're replacing a you know, 20, 30-foot tree. It really is. But yeah, we saw a big resurgence in the request for natives after ah. that freeze. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And, and, you know, a lot of people have, have asked about, well, what should I plant 
and their question is based on I don't want it to freeze uh, kind right. of thing. And I don't know, my perspective has been there are so many plants out there that are fun to plant. I mean, we do have a lot of natives, and, and that should be a big part of our landscapes, uh, plantings. But there's a lot of exotic things. And, um, you know, you buy nice clothes, and the clothes kind of wear out, and you buy something else. And mm-hmm. I kind of look at my landscape in that way. You know, landscapes have a lifespan. Uh, shrubs, yeah. they reach a point where, hey, you need to replace them. We've got some better things on the market now. And, and so I don't base much of my advice now on the February freeze of 2020 no. because... No. There's too much good stuff that you won't have. I, like bottle brushes are, are very cold tender up here, but my goodness, they're such a pretty little plant. And uh, so if if you like that, well, plant them. Just know you're maybe going to be replacing them periodically. Exactly. I, you're exactly right. And bottle brushes at the top of my list, too. Is it? <laughs> yeah, because bottom line, we're, are, we're a hot, humid climate. Mm-hmm. And if you plant plants designed for those temperatures, they won't survive our summers. Right. Well, I, I told a, I told a group of gardeners a talk I was giving yesterday that we we have a year-round growing season. Actually, it's a 364-day growing season. Mm-hmm. We just don't know when the one day of winter is going to occur. It jumps around year <laughs> after year. <laughs> That's exactly right. And you know, every one of these events whether it be a flood, a drought, a freeze, it presents an opportunity. And mm-hmm. that's the way I always try to tell our, our guests as well, is everything's an opportunity. It gave them permission after that event to change things they weren't crazy about, mm-hmm. but the plant was doing well. I hate, to, I hate to remove it. I hate to cut it back. Right. So they got a clean slate. Yes. Well, and that... That is so true. And, you know, you use the term slate. Uh, I think of gardening as, as like an etch-a-sketch, if any of the yeah. listeners remember growing up with those. Uh, you know, ev- inevitably, uh, I, I had trouble drawing something on that awkward left-right-up-down thing. Right. Uh, but if you don't like it, you turn it upside down and shake it and you start over. We can right. do that in our landscapes. <laughs> the, right. the, the shaking it is a rototiller or something. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. We don't hesitate to buy a can of paint and change the color of a wall. There you go. There you go. And, and you know, I, I know a lot of non-gardeners are wanting just a static, easy-to-care-for landscape. And we have plants that, that do oh, that absolutely. sort of thing. Uh, but uh, I just encourage people to, you know, get out and uh, put some new things out there, some new color. And there's always something new. That's that's exciting. I'm starting to get seed catalogs, by the way, and okay. and uh, <laughs> and I'm reminded again that uh, what would a gardening season be if there weren't 800 new varieties of tomatoes that we know nothing about? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So. It, it, you know, gardening, it, it, it like you said, it, it's evolving, and that's what makes it. I think why we get so hooked on it, if mm-hmm. you will. You know, it, it, it's ever changing and. Like you said, our our landscape needs to be ever-changing. It yes. needs to adapt. And just like we change our taste and furniture and colors inside, we do the same outdoors. Yes, that is that is true. Um, and and I, I think it's good for people to think that way. I, I always am uh, discouraged when someone tells me, you know, they tried gardening, but they have a brown thumb. And I, I say right. there aren't any brown thumbs. There's only uninformed thumbs. Uh, and so we can, we can help with that. And, 
every year of gardening is different. You know, one year it seems like the what the grasshoppers are everywhere, or the mm. spider mites are worse, or uh, you mentioned black spot being better this year for your roses down there. And, uh, mm. it, it's always different, but it it makes it fun and it makes it exciting, and 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 that's okay. I I agree. Yeah, I love it. And obviously. <laughs> and we right, and we learn we learn as we uh, as we grow, uh, mm-hmm. and each each season we get a little bit better, um, being able to grow more things. Well, uh, as far as herbs go, what are some of the herbs that that your customers have been interested in the past year? Well, of course, always the basic, and I would have to say probably top of the list, irregardless of the season, is rosemary. Okay. You know that's such a a widely used herb. Mm-hmm. Uh, next to that is you know the basil's in the summer, mm-hmm. uh, and cilantro with uh, with our cuisine down here. Everybody loves cilantro. Mm-hmm. I would like to remind them that that is a cool season annual. Okay. And you're talking about people getting discouraged. They wait until spring to try to plant it, and you know it bolts immediately as as soon as the weather changes. Yes. So get it in the ground now. Get it in the fall, the winter, and you'll have a good growing season with your cilantro. Mm-hmm. Um, parsley right now is big, and sage with holiday cooking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Uh, and sage, you know, a lot of these herbs do well in a container. Uh, oh, yeah. Sage being one that doesn't like to be down in a in a swampy clay soil, uh, overwatered or over rained on, uh, right. and it does really well in a in a container too. Right, and as does lavender. Lavender is always a favorite, and we do recommend that they start with lavender in a container just well, for that reason so you can control that environment. Right, and Beverly, a lot of the lavenders uh, have trouble in our wet environment in the ground especially. Correct. But there's a lavender you're kind of high on there uh, at the Arbor Gate. What, could, can you remind me which, which one it was that uh, you seem to like the best? Well, uh, you know, we see the most success with customers with the Goodwin Creek. Goodwin uh, Creek. There's the new Phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, I've kind of had mixed reviews on that one. Okay. But uh, Goodwin Creek seems to be a pretty stable performer. Okay. And uh, if they do, as you said, lots of sun, lots of airflow, and no air overhead watering with irrigation. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Yeah, because where they're from is not the the exact same climate as we we have here and especially as you have down as you get toward the houston further south and east in texas right right yeah well herbs are are a fun thing to do and and something that i enjoy you mentioned um bees and pollinators and things one thing i enjoy is mixing the gardens up a little bit um you know i grew up and the vegetable garden was the vegetable garden and the flower bed was the flower bed and so on and I think it's cool. In fact, in my vegetable garden, at the end of the row, and almost as a uh, like a ground cover around some of the perennial vegetables, uh, I may have oregano or sure. uh, some other low-growing. Right now, at the at the end of one of my rows, uh, Mexican mint marigold still has blooms right. on it, and on another one, the um, uh, salvia. Pineapple sage. Uh, right. I can't say which salvia it is right now, uh, but has beautiful red blooms going right now. And so mm-hmm. uh, I think it's good to mix flowers and herbs and vegetables all together. And one of the benefits of it is when they bloom, like you mentioned cilantro uh, bolting in the spring. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I leave mine for that because I those little bloom heads are really popular with surfed flies, uh, some of the parasitic 
parasitic wasps that uh, uh, go after aphids and, and other beneficials. I usually let our last bunch of broccoli do the same. Yes, oh boy. Now, the honeybees, will, they'll fly a mile to, to go mm-hmm. to a broccoli blooms. They love those things. Yeah. Well, you, you mentioned uh, mixing your plantings. I, you know, I try to tell people, you know, a lot of the herbs were landscape plants before they went into the kitchen. Mm. So to, to think, think in those terms, and we've taught several classes before, but on the ornamentables. Okay, tell us about that. Well, ornamentable, it's, your edible is totally ornamental. Mm-hmm. And if you, even if you have a fairly strict HOA, you know, parsley and pansies or yes. parsley and alyssum or like the Mizuna mustards mm-hmm. uh, and the Osaka mustard they're, and lettuces, they're beautiful landscape plants, and, but you can eat them. Right. And for, the, for listeners that are wondering, what is this Mizuna and Osaka? We're talking about uh, mustards, but they're not the big broadleaf mustards. They have a very finely cut frilly leaf, and so that's right. even more ornamental. Right, and a wonderful edible flower on that Mizuna. Oh, okay. It tastes like honey. Oh, my. Well, I'm, I'm going to have to try that. I've never eaten <laughs> Mizuna flower, so that's... Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and Well, and nasturtium, just old-fashioned nasturtium. Mm-hmm. And, and, of course, um, the uh, rhubarb chard and the, the uh, multicolored chards like the variety Bright Lights, and there's mm-hmm. some others now, uh, those are really attractive, too. I saw a beautiful planter uh, it, in a, a planting in a, a large vase-type planter outside a ritzy store. I, I would think the, the vase itself was probably worth $500 or more. And, and they used Swiss chard as, as mm-hmm. one of the combinations up in the top. That Absolutely. Cool. Absolutely. Uh, it, the mustards and the, the uh, Swiss chards, you know, look at your red boar kale mm-hmm. and your Nero de Toscana or the dinosaur kale. Yes. Those are great thrillers for your combination planters through the winter. Well, and we're in Aggie country up here, so red boar is, I'm going to call it maroon. Huh? It's its close to maroon. <laughs> and so if you want a beautiful frilly kale that is deep maroon, and then let it bloom. Uh, Beverly mentioned letting broccoli bloom. Let that red boar bloom. It has a beautiful yellow bloom head that okay. rises above the foliage, too. Another That's one, another good one is the uh, bronze fennel. I like to use that in ornamental plantings through the winter because it's got that light, lacy, airy, yes. almost grass-like movement to it. Yes, it, that, is, that is true, and it, it, is, it is very beautiful. Uh, you mentioned parsley. You know, there's some other little mounding plants that are edible, like uh, salad burnet. Uh, so if you wanted to line a bed, uh, now this this isn't permanent like monkey grass or liriope or something. I mean, they, they come and go, but uh, those would be a beautiful way to do that. And lovage as well. Yes, that's a, another good one. Oh, my gosh, well, we could talk plants all day here, I think. <laughs> uh, for, uh, for those of you who've jumped in a little bit late, I'm visiting with Beverly Welch. Beverly is one of the owners down at Arborgate Nursery uh, in the Tomball, Texas area. And uh, if you haven't gone down and visited, it, it is really uh, worth a visit. I would say take Thank the you. non-gardening friends down there because there is so much to see that uh, even if they're not plant people, they're going to be fascinated by the, the shops and uh, the displays that are out in the landscape. And you guys have done a great job of that. Well, thank you very, very much. And we now, do miss you. 
<laughs> thank you. I, 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 miss, I need to get back down just to visit, too, sometime. Say, um, now, in the past, you offered educational programs, uh, quite right. a few, and that, that is a wonderful resource. Um, now, with COVID, I know that, that kind of had to, to be set on a shelf. Any, any thoughts going forward on that? Well, our hope is to continue back with them, hopefully next spring, definitely okay. by next fall. Okay, but good. as you know, we've been offering educational classes, goodness, over 20 years. Hmm. So we'll have to get you back down for that. Okay. Um, but, yeah, we, but we are still doing, you know, our, if they'll subscribe to our website, mm-hmm. we do, still do our monthly YouTubes, and we okay. have some tremendous blogs. Yes, you available. do. You do. Uh, I, I, I enjoy those. Uh, one of my cohorts in Extension, he's up in Tyler area, and everybody in plants knows Greg Grant, I would say. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he also uh, writes for you guys, doesn't he? Yes, sir, he does. <laughs> well, that's great. That is so good. Enjoyable to hear. Well, um, I wanted to just touch base on uh, one other, other thing uh, before we, we go. And that is in regards to some of the roses. And you guys have a big selection of those. Uh, and there's a lot of new roses, and then there's a lot of the old roses. Do you have a, I, I'm probably throwing you a, an unannounced curve here, but it won't be a bad one. Uh, do you have a favorite rose, Beverly, or a favorite two or three roses? Okay. That if if, if somebody say. walks up to you and they say, Beverly, I have a blank slate. I don't have room for a lot. Give me a rose or two that you would recommend. I'm glad you said I get to choose more than one. Yeah. I always say my favorite plant is whichever one I'm looking at. That's right. Um, <laughs> well, one of my favorite uh, is Duchere. Okay. I love Iceberg. And as you can tell by these selections, I, I'm i a big fan of white in the garden. Yes. Ice, I, iceberg is a white bloom. And Iceberg is fairly disease resistant, too. It is. It mm-hmm. is. And I like Beverly. Okay. Well, of course you have to like that one. <laughs> and I find the fragrance on her remarkable. Okay. And she's such a beautiful bloomer. Very sturdy rose. Mm-hmm. And I am very, very impressed with the Drift series. Okay. Now, the Drifts are low-growing roses, uh, maybe knee-high-ish, uh, and, Ish, yeah. and they have small blooms uh, compared to what most people think of as a rose bloom. Uh, so they make a, a taller ground cover or even a little low, low shrub bed. Right. And they definitely do fill a niche with mm-hmm. their size and the bloom time. I I have them in my front yard at home, and there's I don't know that there's ever a time when there aren't blooms on those roses. Wow, well that's that's a testimony to the rose. Uh, I, I understand when you say it's hard to pick your favorite plant. I people ask me that all the time. It's I guess a way to start a conversation with a horticulturist. What, what's your favorite plant? Uh, I I cannot pick my favorite I plant. Uh, I can't if, either. If you give me a genus, okay, I'll salvias. <laughs> That's my right. favorite genera, I guess. Uh, but and even that, I, I cringe at all the things I'm not mentioning. Right. Uh, and with roses, that's true too. But you know, one of the roses over the years that that has really just impressed me uh, is uh, Belinda's Dream. Yes. Uh, and yes, it, of course, it was developed by a, a math professor, not a horror professor, here at, at A&M years ago. Uh, but the, the reason I like Belinda's Dream is it's kind of everything. 
Uh, you mm-hmm. know, there are roses that don't have fragrance. Well, it has a little bit. There are roses that, for people that aren't rose enthusiasts, they say, well, that doesn't look like a rose. You know, well, Belinda's Dream looks like a traditional rose in the bloom yeah. a little bit. Uh, Belinda's Dream forms a shrub. So if it didn't have a bloom on it, it would be a pretty plant. And Correct. and so I I like that plant a lot. Uh, I don't know if I would say it's my favorite rose, but if someone said, I'm only going to plant one rose, I... I often will say well plant this one uh and then of course knockout it was just spectacular uh it didn't have the fragrance but it had everything else right but i'm it's everywhere now i mean it's just really over planted yeah yeah and it doesn't make it a bad plant it's just like okay we need something different uh, Mm -hmm. to try out so another one that is not well known is mrs dudley cross Yes. That's another favorite of mine, and Carefree Beauty. Oh, Carefree Beauty is, is a nice one. Um, I, I liked it back when they called it uh, Katie Road Katie Pink. Katie Road Pink, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Uh, and it, it's a beautiful, big old blooms on that thing, yeah. too. And it, it's and pretty hip. Nice and, hips. And hips, that's true. Not all roses do that. Uh, so if you want to learn more about a lot of these roses, uh, th- there is a uh, Earthkind Rose website uh, out of AgriLife uh, Hort Department that has a lot of the Earthkind roses, and many of the ones we're naming off here, especially older ones, uh, are, are on that with the description. Mm-hmm. Well, Beverly, it's been so nice to visit with you again. It's been too long. Uh, so thank you for taking time out. I know you guys stay busy down there. I've been down a couple of times when I had to park a half mile down the road because <laughs> everybody else has figured out y'all are there. So I guess that's a, a good problem to have, but it's also a sign that it's a place place well worth visiting well thank you so much and it's always a pleasure to speak with you all right well you guys take care and thank you again thank you bye-bye all right well uh, that brings our show pretty much to a close Uh, so i hope you've enjoyed today a little different kind of show uh, just pre-New Year's Eve. Uh, we'll be back again uh, next week with live call-ins. So tell your friends about the show. Uh, if you have friends that are any way interested in gardening or just want to tune in to say, what crazy thing is he going to say next? Uh, we we invite you to spread the word and uh, and uh, get us uh, some more interest in listeners out there. Our, our desire is to not only uh, provide en- an enjoyable hour, but also one that really pays off in saving you time and money, uh, helping you have more beautiful landscapes, uh, and just enjoy gardening, which is the best hobby uh, that there is, from physical benefits to mental benefits to uh, culinary uh, dietary benefits. Uh, You can't beat gardening. And so thank you so much for listening, and we wish you a great new year and look forward to seeing you or talking to you again next week. You've been listening to Garden Success with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist Skip Richter. Join us again next week as Skip discusses your questions about gardening and landscaping in the Brazos Valley. 
Garden Success is brought to you in part by the Arbor Gate, featuring unusual plants, artisan-created decorative pieces, and a constantly changing array of items that bring beauty, comfort, and even flavor to the home and garden. Arbor Gate, 15635 FM 2920, Tomball, Texas, 281-351-8851 or arborgate.com. Garden Success is also brought to you by the Farm Patch, 3519 South College Avenue in Bryan, 979-822-7209.